PG Podcast Network, it's time for the year-round carnival with Vince Accardi and your host, Racetrack Rolfie. Starting off with the ultimate Q-Man, Freddie Mercury. Is it a good time? Not sure, but Q-Man won the Oakley Plate, Mr. Brightside, the Futurity, and Hey Young Guy won the Blue Diamond. Let's let's call it that anyway. I think I've slaughtered that one too. Vince Accardi, good morning to you. Yeah. Oh, you know, I love that. Yes, there you go. There you go. Well, if you can't pronounce it, how am I going to pronounce it? Yes, exactly. Some good racing in Sydney too. We'll touch on that. But uh, first off, how did Caulfield play? Let's take away the noise and let's just bring the realities. Take away the noise. Was there noise, Ralphie? Well, of course, whenever horses on pace win, it's the track manager's fault. Oh, okay. Well... As you know, it was always going to be tough to get into lanes, and really, outside of one race that was the winner of the Blue Diamond, no one really actually touched the lanes from the winner's perspective. Yep. Borderline, but not there. So if you're in lanes five or six versus the fence, you're in no man's land. You didn't gain anything. Maybe you had to work a bit harder to get into that spot, so possibly gave away a little bit of margin in terms of distance travelled. Well, there were certainly um, some slow tempos as well. I, I was the, the the outlier there as far as the lanes was Hayasugi, an yep. insane tempo race. But equally, I'm just looking at the Oakley Plate. I thought there were a couple of horses that were out in lanes that just didn't really get involved, such as uh, Kalos. I'm just wondering if is is there any chance? So there's a twofold question here. But is there any chance, firstly, that uh, aeration had a factor, or are you just saying the track played pretty well? While the aeration did have a factor, we sort of touched on that. I wonder mm. what, what did they do in the home straight, right? Yep. Out wide because it was apparently, I, from what I'd been told, that there was a bit of poking around going on. Yes. So there was that possibility. But the reality is, is where were you positioned when you got into that straight strike zone? How far were you off the pack as well, right? Yep. And it was, it was when some horses, particularly in a couple of those big races, they were out in those deep lanes and you would have expected them to storm home and they didn't. That was to me the thing that said yep. the aeration was effective. Super yep. wide lanes weren't very fast and we know at Caulfield they are. Well, I'm sure people listen and I'm sure they're very aware and what are they trying to do? Make the race even. This can 
create chaos. But at the same time, we have to look at the race shapes. Yes. And the other point too, for those who don't know, with Caulfield with a thousand, uh, was there a thousand? There was an eleven hundred and the yep. twelve hundred meter races. When there's a southerly wind, it's a leader advantage because it's right up their backside in one in just one shoot from the uh, say the seven hundred or eight hundred meters, depending on eleven or twelve hundred. So that's got to be a great advantage if you've got a wind assistant. Yeah, well, it was one of these scenarios. You're right, Ralph. It was just one of these scenarios that closest to the fence was best. All right, let's have a look at the Blue Diamond. A uh, number of ways to break it apart, but the starting point was, it was a bit sad for me. Uh, I was on Lady Camelot, and I thought, what the heck is John Allen doing on Spywire? So can you tell me, please, how fast were they actually going? I, I like the name, Spywire. <laughs> uh, maybe he was spying on your money, Ralphie. That's it. <laughs> and said, forget about it. Well, here we go. This is probably the reality of what's really taken place. First section, plus 5.7. It's a tough speed, Ralphie. And they didn't slow in the mid-race. They were slowing because of nutrition. They were getting tired. But even when you look at the spread across that whole field, you're looking at a average margin that's very close to plus two. So you're going very fast through the first section. And then you're doing everything to maintain it. And then there's going to be depletion. And depletion was there for a lot of horses that were trying to run with that brutal speed. Even the horses that finished a lot closer. And this is one of the things, Ralphie, when they go very fast, you also know lanes aren't going to help you because everybody's tired, right? Yeah. Now, it depends on where you are. You have to be inside the six-length zone. That's the first thing. If you're further than that, it's, it's, it's tough. And, of course, if you're very close to the leader, generally speaking, when you've got sustained speed in the mid, you do get an advantage on your competition. But the only horse that made any serious impression in that race over the last 200 metre was the winner. So that says a lot about a lot of these horses and how they handle the 1,200. So uh, we always get our members to ask any questions they would like. I don't think there's a question here from Scott. This might just be a brag and good on him too. Hand in hand, Sugi start those odds. I took $17 all in, thought it was over. So uh, well done there, uh, there, Scott. Daniel's also asked, we've touched on this already, uh, interested in Vince's thoughts on the Caulfield track. They watered formula on race day. Has this had an effect? Track never got to a good three. On raw times, last 200 broke 11 seconds. No last 400s broke 22 seconds. The lanes never came into play. Kalos out wide ran top three last 1,800, 600, but then last 200 in particular lost speed. So we've probably covered that a little bit, but uh, as far as the Hayasugi, do you think it was ended up overs? I mean, we had five, on your race speed profiles, you had five horses mentioned, and as most advantage, it was one of them. Well, the reality was if you sort of compare it to the bodyguard, it was half length between a maximum, even though they ran almost the same overall final time. There was just a little that was a prelude two weeks earlier, yep. yeah. Yep. So there wasn't a lot between them. Yeah. And the reality is, when you look at the final outcome of the race and where the performance was, the horse did break benchmark 0.7 above. And at the end of the day, it was interesting some of the comments that Daniel made. I I would have to say there's some there is some merit there in the sense of number one, if we look at just how that track played to the 800-metre mark. Of course, with the exception of, in my view, race one, right, where they've gone almost 17 lengths below benchmark, 
you look at the overall table to the 800 meter mark, it was a length faster than standard, right? Yep. But between the, you know, getting into the six to the four range, it was dead set benchmark. And again, the inside lanes, if we just look at the overall last four and 200 meters, it was right on point, like plus 1.6, plus 1.9, better than standard. So, Ralphie, maybe it is the aeration the more you think about it. Yes. So back to the uh, yep. the winner is itself. So uh, on its IVR performance, uh, how did you rate it compared to what it had been doing narrowly winning the preview and the prelude? Well, if we look again at the overall performance that it produced, which was 0.7 above, which I I don't know, sometimes we've seen the Blue Diamonds get up into that sort of two range, but it's not easy to do. But last start, it did produce a benchmark performance. Yep. And it's been able to improve from that. So the ride was fantastic. And, well, it really was fantastic, actually. Jamie Carr's ride, probably one of the big the big assets in my view, couldn't have got the horse any better in position in terms of the, the maximum energy efficiency. And the horse was able to let down because it conserved energy and didn't have to be broken broken open through that first section. In fact, had the opportunity to build its speed between the eight and the 400, where a lot of horses were deteriorating. Lady of Camelot had the best IVR figure going into the race, mm-hmm. had a reason for, for the bullishness, of course. On Saturday morning, you said, in the end, I'm just going to stay out because I just haven't got confidence that the rider will judge the speed right. So the, the, the two factors here is, I suppose you were saying, could he overextend in the lead? But then the second part is, could he have done more in letting the horse uh, spiral just go in front of it? Because you'd assume, let's say, a Damien Lane would not have been going that fast early and just let that hundred that uh, what, what was it? it was seventeen dollars, but it was overextending anyway. Spyware, just let it go and then run her own race. Did did she overextend, or was it just a case with two year olds? Sometimes it's just a matter of steering because you can't really control their speed to a fair extent. Well, there has to be a level of overextension if you just compare it to the previous run. No question. Now, obviously, that stable would have probably given clear instructions. Yeah, go to the front. Now, it couldn't get the front. Yes. But you're right. If it had been a different rider like Damien Lane, he would have been quite happy to sit a length further back. As long as he was in that strike zone, he would have been happy because they know they're going fast, Ralphie. They absolutely know. It's not like maybe. Yeah. And probably you, you give this some thought. Have If you were just – well, here's, here's the short answer. If you look at the MPS margin, it's virtually a dead eat between the two. So that's metres so, per second. So how do you put that into equation there? Well, Fair. okay. So, so that, what that mean, that what that means is when you look at the MPS data and you accumulate it over each of the sections, because that also gives you insight on how much ground you're travelling, and you put it all together, what it basically says is that to have a point margin difference between the two, and one's going 0.5 above benchmark and the other one's going plus 4.2, if you just conserve half a length, you win. Right. Half a length. That's all. <laughs> it's not, not, oh, I know. Not, I know. Yeah. Now, it's hard to do, but the elite boys or girls or ladies, they know. They just yes. they feel it, right? So, hey, Sugi, extend a length more in the first section, gone. Won't win. <laughs> extend another length less, won't win too far back. Like, and we'll, you have an example. Fearless. 
Just that extra half length back can't do it. Now, I'm not saying that horse is as good as the winner. No. But what I'm pointing out is when you just bring those factors into play, that speed early, particularly if they continue through the mid. Now, I don't know what carnage could have happened if you tried to slow the race down between the eight and the four, but they were tired. So they were slowing on their own. And and, and just so no one uh, takes what we're saying out of context, we are looking at data and we are sitting on our backside. We're not steering the animals, but that's the point of looking at the data and try and make assessments on whether horses are overextending or, or going too slow and various other ways of looking at it. And what we repeatedly see is that the best jockeys, they're not trying to, but they ride to the numbers. Yeah, they do ride to the numbers. And, and the riders have had a lot of practice. They know. Even yeah. the riders that haven't had as much practice, they know if they're going fast. Just the challenge is how do you control, how do you judge, how do you bring the horse underneath you? All these things then play a role. Some horses are very easy to be able to manage, and, and, and some horses aren't. Like, they are, they're just got to take control. That's it. Well, I'm, not sure instance, Lady, sorry, I'm not sure Lady of Camelot's one that takes control. Yeah. So, for instance, because we mentioned Damien Lane, I've just got a jockey's comments here. So there's two other horses I'll ask you about. So and one being Anisa. Uh, the jockey's comment here from uh, racing.com, she was she, she run great. She was probably just a little close to that hot speed. I had such a good spot, I couldn't give it away, but I was just having to feel for a little bit before the corner. And as a result of that, she didn't finish as strong. She's really honest to get into fourth. And, and there you go, Vin. So there's... There's exactly what we're saying. That the elite jockeys know when they go when they're going too fast. But again, he made a tactical decision to say, "Well, this position's just too good," rather than being spat out the back. Well, it is important that this when there's a lot of truism in the journey of you read all the different types of textbooks on horse racing, punting, all those things, and when. There's the communication around the herd mentality. That's what the herd mentality is. You can't get. I mean, have a look who, who was the who was running last. Rudy Royale, right? Yep. Going 1.3 lengths below benchmark. That's still good speed for that horse, right? Yeah. But you can't really afford to get much further back than that because maybe the comfort zone for that horse was minus four first section. Yes. Then the stewards would be saying, what were you doing out there? Has she got some size produce sort of potential? And easy? she relaxed so well in that 1,000-metre race, and here she's had to have a complete reversal of speed. Uh, is she the type who can run, run 1,400 for a two-year-old this time of year? You know, yeah. Right now, Ralphie, I don't have a lot of confidence in a lot of those horses' ability. So would, it, that would it be, be fair to say, you overview, must... you're, you're not expecting this to be strong golden slipper form? Well, the winner... Still continuing to deliver. Yes, right? well, there's that. <laughs> She's a winner. <laughs> and there is, yeah, there is this possibility this horse could still improve. Yeah. Even off that run. Now, is it going to make enough of a gap to take that next step? Well, how big's the gap really? At this is, stage, is, probably yeah, enough. Yeah, maybe. That's from the winner. Yeah. What about the rest? And I want to finish with Coleman. Yep. I reckon uh, I want to challenge her here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Firstly, I'll read what Ben Mellon wrote. First time he's been exposed to a big field, he was literally a deer in the headlights. Well, not literally, Ben, but I know what you're saying. I suppose the other horses have had a bit of experience in larger fields, whereas both his career starts have been small fields and the occasion got the better of him, I think. He's a good horse. He's a quality colt. He just got found out today a bit. So firstly, your overview of what you think he did in the run compared to uh, expectations. 
Well, the first challenge was, and we sort of touched on it in the podcast, is there has to still be some question marks in this horse 1,200. Yeah. It just had to be. It was right? an unknown. Yeah, because if you've got to look at the finish, the way it finished off, off that race shape of 1,000 metres, unfortunately, it doesn't always translate to what you would like to see stepping up to 200 metres. And as soon as you get this reversal of speed, I'm not sure it's about the big fuel. I think it's all about tasting the medicine of that pace. Yes. You know, plus 1.7 first section, 0.8 above, still travelling between the 8 and the 400. And you look at this horse, it's already three and a half, four lengths faster than what it did over 1,000 the start before. Now we're going the extra 200 metres and you're having to overreach that much more you just it just doesn't have the finish. So what's the real problems with those horses? It's not so much that they don't have ability. There's probably a lot of truth that this horse does have plenty of ability, but it's just not strong enough yet to be able to cope with that. And and this is where so I asked you about the um, about the statistics of horses who have run in a thousand compared to the twelve hundred that uh, it was Carl Delio from Racing.com brought up. And what you and Daniel and also noticed Daniel O'Sullivan saying similar. What you're saying is. You need, what did you say, thousands of <laughs> sample sizes to, uh, to to say, well, if, that, if if it's a real statistic or not. Well, of course, you're not going to get no statistic on 20. Did that yeah. stand up or not stand up? Right. So, but the other way of looking at that same uh, stat is don't worry about the statistics. Just say, it, do you think it's ideal to go from a small field, orderly speed, 1,000, at your second or third start, straight into a Bunsen burner 1,200? Well, so this is that yeah, takes away statistics. Well, you're spot on, Ralph, because that's yeah. one of the reasons why I went negative on it because there was a lot to like about the horse. Tell and me, all, yeah, and everything was sort of going in the right direction. But hang on a second, one now when you're going to have a big field, and we know that they're not going to walk, right? <laughs> they just run. <laughs> yeah, it, it becomes a real big challenge. Yes, on what that possible outcome might look like, and then of course, different stables, different skill sets different preparational strategies. You've got to factor that in as well. Yeah. So, so that, I, I then reversed in, Yeah, sorry. I, I then reversed engineered looking at those, and I just said, I don't care about statistics. That's my belief that it's not an ideal build-up because it's a you know, soft tempo 1,000, a hard tempo 1,200 for an inexperienced horse. I've then, then looked at the, that race. It's, it's a poor lead-in, and, and unsurprisingly, the only horse who was the outlier was Extreme Choice, he was a freak. Now, we didn't know before the race of Coleman was going to be a freak or not, of course. So that's always the challenge to pot it. But I do, th- I do think going forward, stables will be wary of doing that because, as we know, Vince, since, since we were young fellas in, our, in the 80s, uh, in the 70s and 80s, two-year-olds could have about seven or eight starts before the Blue Diamond. I think there was a different medicine allowed back then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was certainly a different strategy, right? <laughs> well, like physically, can't now with the drug for a year. That's just the reality. It's a lot harder, of yeah. course. Yep, yep. No, no doubt about it. All right, the Q man. Now, mm. <laughs> when we when we write up Sizzlers, <laughs> we just write up the performance. Uh, we don't. Sometimes we, we, you know, it's obvious with some horses where they're where they're going to target. We we didn't think uh, he'd be going to the Oakley Plate winning, but this is what we wrote because he was best of the day, Australia Day, and all no. our members get it as well as Sizzlers because they always get best of the day. Our magnificent members who support us, SA Short Course Specialist, who's dragged his PB from 0.8 set when a dominant winner at the Parks Track 11-11 in running 1.3 lengths above benchmark, best of the day. Here minus 2.3 at the under 800, 
2.1 the mid-race, 4.4 last 100. The context of the sustained close was the second best last 800, 600, 400, 200 of the day. Of note, he's learning to relax earlier in his races rather than just being a sole leader. That says 1,100 is in his scope with his best to date that trip, 0.5 cent May. Uh, what are you doing Sunday? Wow, what a performance. Well, first of all, second best of the day, plus 2.6. I mean, it was a fantastic performance by the horse. And then you look at you know, the pressure of the race, Oddly enough, and this is a real good insight to where things are at, if you look at the the Blue Diamond versus this 1,100 metres, they're actually going slower. Yeah, so the up-to-date was slower tempo than the Blue Diamond, and that says a lot, doesn't it? And then all of a sudden, it is leader advantage. <laughs> Correct, and then, so then you'd look at the mid-race move, where it's real high pressure for the youngsters, and they started to hit the deterioration button. Here, they've gone virtually... Almost the same speed as what the uh, the Blue Dom did in terms of mid-race pressure with three lengths of energy conservation through the first 400 metres or 300 metres. This is really noticeable on your chart here, Vincent. On the right-hand side, you've got a mid-race squeeze, 0.4 for the winner, uh, minus 0.3 for the runner-up. So almost perfection. And and Harry Coffey and Michael D have just judged the speed so perfectly, everything else is disadvantaged chasing it. Yes, yes, um, for sure. And, of course, Ralphie, he was one of my big conundrums, right? Yes. Firstly, number one, self-interest, of course, because I did have something. I had a one-by-four in the end on King's Gambit. And, of course, was I beat myself after race? Yeah, for sure, because I just said to myself, what is she going to do? What is she going to do? Is she going to overextend or not? This is um, Because of barrier one. Yeah, because of barrier one, and she and she did look to hunt in, into the spot, right? But yep. then the trainer after the race, you hear what he said? Yes, I did. Go on. <laughs> Just we, I don't know if he said he missed track work or whatever, but the horse needed the run. He was so unconcerned, and and he said straight to the galaxy. In fact, Mark's asked, "Hi Ralph, can you please ask Vince? Was King's Gambit too close to the speed, or did he not just turn up?" What? The trader comments was, and what you've just said is, there's every chance he still needed the run. Yeah, and then you look at the numbers, he's actually started to fall away from just inside the 400, and you can see it. There it is. It is a total, right? <laughs> this is the sad part, right? Yep. It's three. It's ha- just over half a length between the, the four and the two, and then another point three. So the horse has actually lost, in terms of from maximum speed to where it was, 1.8 lengths. Now, 1.8 lengths in conditioning, and then you tie back, even just to the NPS margin, that puts you first four. Yeah. At, at least first four. I'm not saying winner, but you're, you're going to be – fighting it out. So unfortunately, that little bit of energy use early <laughs> didn't help the horse, particularly if you're not ready for it. I just want to go back one because I always try and look after our members. Michael's asked, I'd like to know if Vincent's Lady of Camelot is a live chance in the slipper off that blue diamond run. She's marked $14 uh, in futures markets, which is generous. I know futures aren't really your thing, Vince, but uh, as far as Class-wise, what's her challenge to go into a golden slipper? Well, the first thing is we've definitely got an, ab- an above benchmark performance from the horse, and there's no question that this horse would not go backwards off that run if it's got one more run left. It, yeah. To be able to ha- have the opportunity to race with such high pressure, 
And if they run to a similar pattern, this horse will be one of the ones that will be suited. I'm not sure where they're going to have the rail placement. That's going to also play a big role. But realistically, it's it's a little bit like the winner. If you're talking about getting on the podium to win and you're looking at that first spot, you're probably going to be a length, length and a half behind what you need to produce or that's how much you have to improve by. Did you get any communication from the yard about Asphora? It was friendless uh, and then it missed the start. And uh, I'm not saying anything nefarious, but what I'm saying is sometimes if a mare's badly agitated, that can be cause and effect because she isn't a horse who misses the start and <laughs> it was confetti after uh, 50 metres. Well, if you look at the overall performance of the horse and you take that part away, and obviously no no advantages in the lanes out wide, yep. then the horse is finished off superbly, like absolutely superbly. So there's a few ways you can look at it. Yep. On one hand, not getting that great start actually probably didn't hurt the horse in terms of the overall race because it's finished. Well, there it is. Like, yeah, just have a look at the last 800 metres. I mean, it was inside top 10 all day across all the, the splits outside of the first section. Yep. So there is, again, you know, some little challenges with that horse there as well. Is We might have touched on it in the podcast as well. You just look at the profile. There was a couple of signals about what things can mean. It can mean, yes, this horse is either going to just come on and you just take that on as being the one, or you can also take it as being, was that the peak of the horse? Because for me, I had to look at the horse and say, I still mark the horse as being up since... You know, I'm, you know, I took that 140-day spell as the rule break yep. and, not the, and not the 91 days because I just don't feel the horse would have had as much time there. But, yeah, at the end of the day, let's say it had gone out with its customary pace. I don't know. Or if the lanes were working for it. So there was no doubt a lot of riders were very tuned in to try and be in lanes, Ralphie. Kalos was ridden by Blake Shin out wide in the lanes. Now, two weeks earlier, he storms home out in the lanes yeah. <laughs> on, on Sunday he didn't. But uh, this jockey comment amused me from Blake. He ran a great race. He was unsuited by the weight conditions and now the race was run, but he ran really, really well. I, I get the, uh, you know, everyone's got an opinion if you're on the lightly weight horses, I suppose, outside of King's Gambit, you, you might have had a fill-up. But with, with Kalos, as we mentioned, Vince, whatever your thoughts are about the weight scale, he was carrying the same weight as a fortnight earlier. That shouldn't make you run slower. You, you can say if others run faster, but that's not going to make you run slower. So there, I dare say he might have had a bit of flatness from that big run first up. Yeah, yeah, that that's unfortunate. That's what's happened, right? Yeah. And I'm definitely, this is a horse going to be very wary of <clears throat> moving forward. And... This wasn't its day, and the reason is oh, I'm with you 100% that the impact of that last start, which is off a decent break, no question impacted its overall performance and shouldn't be dismissed into the future. And, of course, riders can say all they want afterwards, and <laughs> you know, sometimes they're looking about how they retain rides into the future as well. Bit of business. Networking, you reckon? <laughs> that, sure. Fair enough. So that's a mistake from the stable in the end. Uh, well, and, and also sometimes, as you, we regularly say, uh, you know, you can program a, a run or a, a campaign, but uh, sometimes when, when the races unfold a certain way, particularly early in the campaign, it can flatten the ongoing. Yeah, well, what are you going to yeah, There's not much you can do. But I, I, what I mean by mistake is sometimes it's just that the planning yep. had, had that. They had they found a race, you know, one week earlier. It's twenty-one days. Yes. Could have been a very different outcome. 
Mr. Brightside, let's get to the rock star. Yeah. What a jet this horse is. He is so fantastic. Now, it looked like Buffalo River was going at good speed and then really picked it up from about the 600. That's what it looked like to the eye. I thought, Celine Gordre, you've run the best race you possibly can under this circumstance. And, of course, he tapered late, befitting a, an old warrior who just isn't at Mr. Brightside's uh, level. But he delivered and he, he actually ran, I think, Vince, I'm right saying this, best ever second up run of his career. Yeah, well, a few things. Number one, let's... Buffalo River, I was surprised that the horse could just do what it did. But, my goodness, is, this is the franking of the other iron horse, the mare. But at the end of the day, 3.2 lengths above benchmark, virtually matching what it did the start before. Unbelievable in my view. And then even in the mid-race, had the audacity to go probably a touch faster than what it did the start before, but completely tanked out over the last 400. Like, like badly, I mean... (laughs) 3.2 above, 6.1 between the 8 and the 4 above, and then a massive drop-off of 8.5 lengths below benchmark over the last 400 moves. Wow. Now, the winner. Wow, what a ride that was as well. Seriously. No, it it was... We're talking about riding to the numbers. Talk us through quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, unbelievable ride the way the ride was there. 1.6 lengths below benchmark. Actually going a bit more than a length slower than... The previous run. And then when you look at the move between the eight and the four, there it is, 6.7 lengths above benchmark when compared to 4.7 above the start before. And, yes, there was a taper. The taper came pretty much from the 400 home. Well, there it is, last last 200 moves, minus 1.6. I don't believe he could have done much more. He's peaked the horse to round the field up just inside the 400, and by the time we got to the 200 metres, he was virtually travelling benchmark and lost almost three-quarters of a length, uh, three-quarters of a second in speed before, you know, not being able to sustain that finish of previous run. I mean, that was probably everything the horse had under this circumstance from a race shape point of view, but he's timing to be able to say, this is when I'm going to go to ensure I grab that field because you can easily misjudge that when they increase pace between the eight and the four. Yeah. And he did and he didn't. So here's the other thing too. By having a race, and by that I mean, you know, obviously Buffalo River putting some mm-hmm. some real heat in it. This is just the perfect lead in all star mile in three weeks. Well he's going to be one super horse to beat. I mean, really. <laughs> brighter Jetty's going to have to do some real Brighter Jetty stuff to uh, to outrun him. Well. Which is possible. She's, she's <laughs> becoming be the star mare, Ralphie. She's becoming yeah. the star mare. Not going to be in traffic. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. So uh, the uh, the uh, interesting what if was V8, who was, uh, who was going very well. I reckon he probably runs second in this, and the reason I mentioned that, the McAvoy stable have chosen the Australian Guineas this week instead. Take on the three-year-olds. It's a cracking race, the Australian Guineas. So if you want to get our preview podcast, we're going to rebound hard, Vince. The, the mouth guard's in, and uh, our preview podcast can be found by my website, racetrackralphie.com.au. You get Vince Cardi's daily sectionals, race speed profiles, early edition on the Friday. We'll do a deep dive into the, uh, the features as well as the surround stakes at Randwick. Uh, that'll be our little one only, uh, one, one race only from Sydney, the group one there for the Phillies. Uh, and like I said, uh, on the on Sunday morning, post-scratchings, we update all the information there and uh, give you the best information we can on the day. So that's our preview 
Review podcast. Let's talk about the Australian Cup winner. Uh, sorry, the, the well, it's an Australian Cup lead in the Melbourne Cup winners, Vaughan Declare and Gold Trip chasing the Kiwi Campionessa. Now, you said her level was about plus one benchmark, uh, and we saw a slow race pace. Vaughan Declare nearly outbobbed it. The old warrior and Gold Trip said, "Be on me next time." Yeah, I was trying to work out how this was, you know, how it was all happening, you know, in running. And there it is. It's that slow pace. Unbelievable. I mean, the first and second horses are going 8.5 and 8.6 lengths below the benchmark standard. Even the lead speed was minus 6.6, Rolfie. It's very, very comfortable. See, 1,800 metres, you can, two things can happen. You either have heavy overextension and they run it like a mile. Yep and therefore everybody's blitzing, or it's run very slowly. And this was run very, very slowly. And so <laughs> where's the best position? <laughs> well, obviously, the closer to the leader, the bigger your advantage. And it does make you look better, right? Yes. In terms of performances. You look at then the extension in the mid-race. It, was no, it wasn't heavy. Yes, the mid-race squeeze was good. It was around 10 and a half lengths, but it wasn't heavy. Gold trip, unfortunately, just being that extra three lengths, but further back and where you are in terms of your fitness and your condition levels it makes it tougher not that you're not good enough to reel in that field but again you look at the rider he didn't over those last hundred meters so i'm going to kill you he said you know you run out of you run out of energy and he did he ran yep. out of energy over the last 200 meters so he's ridden a as well as you could without slaughtering the horse into the future just for, just for victory so last spring they gave it uh, a few uh, hang on let me let me bring up exactly how long they gave it after a monster first up uh, run at mooney valley even though it was fourth in a ratings race it was the close that we uh, got excited about you had four weeks off to the uh, to the uh, turnbull where the market didn't let you on for a very generous price thank you very much everyone and he won the turnbull in a dynamic fashion the australian cup's five weeks away dare say he'll go straight into the Australian Cup with a very similar profile. So I'd say everything's pointing to him going to run a big race again. Well, you just have a look at his history and try and get – this is his history since he's been in Australia. Yep. And have a look at how many races he's produced where he's gone with a mid-race squeeze of 14 lengths or more, even 12 lengths or more. There's only this race on the weekend and one other, and that was first up at Sandown February last year. That's the only two. Yep. So we'll write that up for Sizzlers, no doubt. Uh, from uh, from Camo, it was a trade rack. <laughs> Always next week. From uh, from uh, Alistair, horrid, eh? No question. Onwards and upwards. Good to see our optimism amongst our members here, Vince. From uh, this is a dice from uh, Mark. Tough day. I had a small share in so glamorous in race three, so it definitely helped the punning pain. Seems a few. Seems a few from that race will head to the CUNY in a fortnight. So keen to hear yours and Vince's thoughts on that race from a future's perspective. So let's have a look at race three. What happened there, Vince, as far as so glamorous uh, leading, uh, running second, rather, to Sassy Boom at producing a big mid-race? Yes, okay. Well, first of all, when we look at this, <laughs> well, what do you want to look at? The highlight of what? Well, as far as uh, so glamorous on the uh, this, this stable, Vince... <laughs> <laughs> so this stable, grand final stable, and when they well, get yeah. elevate. So here's the challenge. Mm. The, the lead speed of 0.3 below benchmark, and that horse has ended up running second last, isn't really a hot pace. It's a, it's a controllable pace, right? Yeah. The winner, Sassy Boone, going one length below benchmark and actually slowing between the eight and the fourth. 
Bidling. To me, it all looks like with so glamorous. Unfortunately, at the back of the field, going six lengths below benchmark, looking at just the structure of the race, NPS margin says it's it, you know probably should have won, but the reality is, if you're one length closer, you'd absolutely win, right? And six lengths or five lengths behind the winner, unfortunately, was just not enough to win the race, right? That's all it is. It, it was clearly the superior horse in every angle, clearly the superior, superior horse. And it was the only runner in that race that produced what I would have called half-decent mid-race squeeze for a 1,400 metre. I mean, I look usually for at least six lengths mid-race squeeze off this type of race shape. Yep. Most horses either ran below or just barely broke. At least this horse has done plus four in terms of the mid-race squeeze, which is good for this horse. But I look at the scorecard, minus 2.8. You've got a lot of work ahead of you. Was it a bad run? No. Where would they be going with a horse like this, Ralphie? Uh, the CUNY over a mile at Flemington. Okay. Well, I, I get it. that's its target. I get it. I want to just make another comment if I could, right? Yep. And this is a bit, you know, the philosophy of betting and the professionalism. It was no illusion going into this race, and it's even through the prism of our podcast, Ralphie. Right? We do lots of, we've done quite a number of these, right? And people that have been on the journey with us from the beginning until right up until now, just in our our banter that we have. Yep. When we're very bullish on various horses. We don't get it wrong very often, but if you go back and listen to what we articulated on the weekend, I don't believe there was any race where we were beating our chest as being, you know, we're just going to want to smash this. I mean, for me, other than Gold Trip, right? Was well, the you, you know, I know exactly what you said. You said A grade, place on side Gold Trip if you can get it. So you got that and you no damage and you downgraded your bet from King's Gambit because of the inside barrier and that was it. So... That all automatically, and this is A, for the new people that are coming on maybe for the journey for the first or second time and haven't had the opportunity to listen. And I know you put the podcast after the event for anyone to listen, right? So the history Fully unedited there, always. Yeah? Yep. And, and this is important, right? As a professional punter, one has to be very cautious of understanding. You can get, you know, these big races – What's more important? Do you want to find the winner or do you want to make money? Now, I obviously want to find the winner, but I want to make money like everybody else. But knowing how to step and how to manage that process, and there was a few people that I spoke to during the course of the week about, you've got to be cautious. You know, some people had rang me and said, oh, I want to be all over this comment. I was listening to what you were saying and, that, and you know, about the race. And I said, well, where did I say that I thought this was just like a sensational betting race? <laughs> where? Where is it? Yet in Sydney, there was a lot easier pickings, right, Yeah. to make money. But that's the challenge, right? I want to get these races right. So do you, Ralphie. But sometimes you just know the setup of the day. I don't go looking to deliberately find a horse that we can spruik. It's either there or it's not because I'm putting my own money and I'm very, very aware that other people are listening and the last thing I want to do is steer them in the wrong direction. But the challenge is this. The psychology of wanting to play in these big races and the excitement sometimes takes over. And therefore, 
your day doesn't turn out to be what you want it to be. And unfortunately, this is the nature of the game. And this is why you've got to be at the crease week in and week out. Some days are better, some days are worse, but you've got to be at it all the time. And you need to be able to learn from the characteristics and the nuances of the way we communicate about things. There were some horses that I'd marked down, A, through the prism of the Sizzlers, Ralphie, through the prism of what I'd seen data-wise, but then the day comes up and I'm, I'm, I'm crying because I can't be on you because you're not meeting the criteria, and therefore I want to stay out. And it comes back to something we used to discuss on Carnival on the radio when we were doing it together, and, and that is, and, and you're from the corporate world, companies spend so, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions on feasibility studies to decide not to get involved. We All we're doing is time to not get involved here. It doesn't cost us anything to not get involved. And sometimes the best way to make money is not, not to lose it. Well, as I said to a couple of people during the week that called me, be careful about the chess moves you make because by not making the chess move, you can't do any damage. So you let the croc run down a little bit you longer. Hold your position. <laughs> yeah, you hold your position. Say, okay, well, guess what? Yeah. This I, I made it pretty clear. There's some sensational racing coming up over the next four to six weeks. And some of them we're not going to get right, but some we will get right, and we could be tremendously rewarded like we have in the past where odds are just like unbelievable and everything lines up and we're just going to be all over them. The beauty of this is, though, this was a great meeting to watch, observe, and hopefully, and I can see, there's probably half a dozen runners that potentially, if everything pat stacks up pattern-wise into their next run, we're going to make money out of them. Uh, absolutely. Let's hope so. And that's the that's the point of why we are independent of corporate bookmakers, and, and that includes a tab, of course. Nothing against them, but we, we're on that side. And uh, if, you're, if you're involved in media that's with them, you want people to – the reality is they want you to bet as much as often as possible. We don't. <laughs> no, no, no. That's exactly right. And I'm really glad. See, one of the things that I've, I've, I've tried to focus on when I say I tried, we're, I'm focusing on a bit more is when we do a little – blurb on the Saturday morning. Yep. I really was like to give people the insight about how I feel, about where I'm at, where my mental mindset is. Sometimes I still haven't made a clear-cut decision which way I want to go, but I'm down to one or two horses. But at the same time, I'm wanting to just give that articulation about why I'm downgrading or not wanting to go there. And the reality was, even me, and I consider myself to be very experienced and extremely skillful at this game, I still couldn't help myself and I had to have one by four Kings Gambit. But my Intel said, Akadi, you're less than 60% with this probability. What the F are you doing? <laughs> right? And I'm going, because you know, I'm, 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 you know, self talk, right? And I'm going, yeah, yeah now shut up. I'm, I'm still on it. I'm going to defy the pattern. And weeks later, you know, I get simulation report. Uh, why did you do that? This is the this is where you've gone wrong, right? Self-reporting, yep. right? And I'm going, yeah, you dickhead, Cardi. But <laughs> but I'm human, right? Yeah, so I get it, right? But but I I've at least been intelligent enough to do this. I pull it right back, so I know it's minimal. Instead, eight ten years ago. Go charge into it. Don't care. Two by ten. Yeah, she'll work it out. Oh, he'll he'll work it out. They'll overcome the adversity of the barrier. And the reality is, no, they won't. No, they won't. There's a high Good. probability they won't. 
Good stuff. All right. Well, if you do want our preview podcast, like I said, you can get it via racetrackralphie.com.au. Vince Carty's work via daily sectionals, including his race speed profiles from Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane. Uh, and there's some highlights from Rose Hill too, of course. We'll give that, make that the Group 1 member bonus. So if you're a Group 1 member, you're going to get uh, some of the highlights from uh, from Rose Hill because uh, we've run out of time here on this week's edition of the Year Round Carnival. 